Here are some clean tunes and a symphony of my favorite songs that you can hear all day long on the Cartoon Network. Okay, boys. A one. A two. You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children. And still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders. And under our beds. And in our closets. And together we'll realize, well, that's pretty that's dark. Pretty dark. Get I'm, I'm crying. <laughs> I told Christian a second ago, y'all. I have recorded when I'm ill, when I'm sick, when I don't feel well. I've recorded when I'm tired. Yeah. But I don't think in any of our recording sessions have I ever been as punch drunk as I am right now. Like, yeah. I'm coming off of like several really long work days. <laughs> You've been giggling. So yeah, I've been like laughing at all Christian's jokes. <laughs> And that's surprising because I'm not really that funny. But he was describing, you know, something that he had to cut from a previous episode because <laughs> he tried to say multiple words at the same time. Yeah, I had when I was editing Pinocchio Part Two, I had to cut mm. me saying Pinocchius because <laughs> I was trying to say like donkeys and Pinocchio at the same it's time. It's not as funny if you don't describe it. <laughs> because what's what's funny about it is that he said that. He, you can't even get through it. It's so funny. Because oh, I'm imagining me talking over you. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. We're we're recording, and I'm like, oh. I'm fi- I'm finishing a sentence, and you start to like, you start on a new thought. So I'm listening to you while trying to finish my sentence about Pinocchio and donkeys, and oh. in the background of the edit, I'm listening, and you're talking, and I just hear like Pinocchius. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> That's so um, funny to me. I have to mute your track so I can hear like. What the hell did I just say? <laughs> Pinocchios. I, I, I will say, this is the type of thing I would normally find funny, but like, I'm tired, so dial that up like 10. And I yeah, you would, you would give funnier. it like a pity laugh. You'd be like, Haha, funny, let's get back to the content, you moron. But not today. But tonight, you actually laugh. Not yeah. today. Today, I laugh. Yeah, it's been a long week. It's only, it's only like 8 o'clock and you're- Oh, I'm already, you're already out of it. But do you know what we are going to say to our listeners today? I absolutely know. On That's Pretty Dark, where my name is Kaylin. And my name is Christian every day, all the, all the time, not even <laughs> just on- We messed up a lot, or I messed up a lot. Not even just on That's Pretty Dark. What we're going to tell you. Ooh. Something that you've been asking for. <laughs> you've been waiting for. We have officially launched, as of today- We have officially launched- Our- Our Patreon. Patreon. Oh, I mean, hold the applause, listener. I appreciate it. Unnecessary. We just want to be here for you. We have all the things that you haven't asked for ready at your disposal to yep. just enjoy. At your fingertips. And pay $5 for You heard it here first, folks. $5. That's it. And you get $5. everything. One tier. Everything. All the magic. That's right. We're starting off with one tier because... We don't know how to manage multiple tiers yet. <laughs> so like, one could tier. we try? Sure. Would it be as Oh, we good? could put in the effort, but Probably why? Not. In this economy? In this economy? <laughs> in this economy? In this economy, if you consider giving us your hard-earned money, we just want to let you know, 
you know, we do intend to regularly update the Patreon, oh, yeah. bonus episodes, um, things that got cut for time, like tangents. A lot of you actually <laughs> somehow don't mind when we go off on our tangents. But we but, have even worse tangents than that. So. Yeah, imagine. Just imagine. Um, you can go all the way down the rabbit hole with us. It's also bloopers, like when we say things like Pinocchios. <laughs> He's trying to break me, listener. I'm trying to get you. I hope I can make you laugh. Oh, you did <laughs> earlier. Like before, literally before we pressed record, I was like sobbing under the desk trying to hide it. That's when I was like, it. okay, let's record, let's record, let's record. <laughs> Man, oh so fun. Yeah, so we're going to we're gonna upload a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I don't even remember what you just said. That's how yeah, bad my ADHD is. Yeah, all of that is. stuff. Fun, like pictures from our lives that you probably don't get to see. And by lives, I mean like the life that we live, not like a, a live uh, internet thing. We haven't really done that <laughs> yet. Not saying that we won't. That might be life something that we do F, eventually. Um, maybe like hangouts on there. And yeah, we'll also, do like a Discord community. I was about to say, access to a Discord community. It probably yeah. is very small so far. So if you go in today, don't be shocked. But you will have it's access to communicate with us. It's just us. And other fans who've decided to... Uh, other other darklings. Think of it like when you show up to the bar and you hope you see someone you know, but you just see me and Kaylin. Exactly. It's at least somebody that looks cool and looks like you have things in common with them. Because that's what hopefully you all will enjoy, is communicating with other people that have things in common. I don't know. I've been told I'm kind of standoffish. Yeah. I mean, they probably wouldn't love to meet us there. But maybe other people that have things in common with us. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. That's our little announcement. That's our little announcement. So if you're a loyal listener and you like what we do here and you want to help us out just a little bit so we can keep doing this, you can go to patreon.com slash TPD podcast. That's TPD as in that's pretty dark. You already know what it is. That's our plug. Or one of our social pages. We'll have that link as well. No obligation, but we would love to have you join our Please help darkling. us keep the batteries in our flashlights. Exactly. Please help us keep the lights on. And just keep searching and searching and searching. And it's just so we can keep doing this because we love doing this so much. We do. And yes, you're paying for the bonus content for yourself, but you're also enabling us to do more research, better research. Mm -hmm. Editing Christian is thanking you profusely. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. all that good stuff. Helping him buy more and more whiskey. That's what we need. <laughs> because... Mm, it's a hobby, but it's also an unpaid part-time job. The podcast listener, not the whiskey. <laughs> not the whiskey. Good save. <laughs> thank you for, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for clarifying. And we thought it was really, really fun to announce that at the top of this episode, because this is a, a monumental moment for us. Yeah, because we have been trying planning for this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And if this is your first ever episode that you're listening to... I'm sorry. We don't always hawk our own stuff. Yeah. Promise. Mm, we really don't. Never done this we before. We never have. This is the first time. So mm -hmm. we promise to not get annoying about it. We might. We'll say that much. We can't promise we won't get annoying I guess about that's it. True. But we promise we won't get annoying about it. I don't know what your threshold is for annoyance, but I do know that I have a cat yelling outside my door. I heard, I actually heard that one. Sweet I usually don't. Baby Buzz. Those Buzz. And do you know what that means? It's time. What time is it? <laughs> to talk about. Courage the Cowardly Dog. Yeah. Buzz the, the... Buzz the Cowardly Cat. Yeah. He is cowardly. My God, so. we're talking about Courage the Cowardly Dog. This is our second season binge. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fun. I'm really excited. Let's figure this out together. It's going to get weird, y'all. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I have, I have things to say about that. This is the weirdest show that's ever been made. <laughs> I will say, <laughs> I also, God. as we kind of kick this off, <clears throat> I feel like this show affected my psyche. Mm-hmm. Way more than Are You Afraid of the Dark did. It's super cerebral. It is trippy. It is 
speculative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to predict. Surreal. It is. It is surreal. It is. Um, I don't know. I think it probably did a lot to shape our generation. If Absolutely. you watched it, I think it shaped your worldview. Absolutely. In a very distinct way. Completely, hundred percent. And I'm hoping to like. I'm hoping that we like really uncover a lot of that as we go throughout mm-hmm. this series. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm not aware of all the reasons why this one stuck so deeply compared to Are You Afraid of the Dark? Obviously, I love that show. Same, yeah. But it just it was different for me. Mm-hmm. How how did it compare for you? Oh, Your child I self. Mean, my God. Do you have memories? My child self. I mean, it. So this show did not scare me. I mean, which is I, so funny because this scared me so much more. Then Are You Afraid of the Dark did. For me, this wasn't scary. This was my, like, so Are You Afraid of the Dark was my my horror fix, my ghostly kind of, you know, ooky spooky, going to keep me up late at night kind of fix. But this one was just the the weird, yeah. strange, the high strangeness. Mm-hmm. Like, if we look at, like, real life genre, Are You Afraid of the Dark is more of this, like, haunting mm-hmm. and, like... Uh, courage, I would say, is more of a high strangeness, mm-hmm. um, specifically because it is just the inexplicable, right? More so than your generic ghost stories or like you know evil clowns. It's so much more unpredictable. It's not your classic they, horror. They use tropes from that, but it's it's more unpredictable. And we're gonna get into all of that. We're gonna get into everything that you're saying. It uses so much more of the inexplicable pop culture that is real life, and applies it to the show. Yeah. In very unique ways that are that are different from Are You Afraid of the Dark. But yeah, we're going to figure all of it out as we go. Definitely. Can't wait. And I can also, I can say, sorry, mom and dad, I wasn't technically allowed to watch the show. Really? <laughs> yeah. They didn't seem to mind Are You Afraid of the Dark, but they drew the line of courage. They were like, so funny. shit's weird, which they didn't say, but they were like, shit's weird. You can't watch it. <laughs> huh. So, I had other shows from Cartoon Network I couldn't watch, but it wasn't this one. Many, honestly, of, of the Cartoon Network shows I wasn't allowed to watch. So wow. most of my watching took place in the dead of night when my parents were asleep, mm. which doesn't help anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, that's like, yeah. that's our um, millennial internet culture. Mm-hmm. Being up late at night, later than you're supposed to, reading all kinds of weird articles online, watching videos. Mm-hmm. And if you applied courage to that kind of same kind of vibe, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. I mean, courage was even before I was like browsing the internet late at night. It was just prior to my unsupervised internet usage. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, it got in there really deep. It has a lot of very um, poignant moments, yeah. which we'll talk about that too, and kind of why it made you feel things that you didn't expect. So this is the epitome of like the lights off, that soft glow of the Definitely. TV. For me, yes. Talked under the covers. I was under the covers. Secretly watching it. I got a box TV in my room the Christmas that I turned seven or eight Mm. because I had the chicken pox. My sister got them like Christmas Eve and I got them the day after Christmas. Mm. And so they put the TV in my room for the first ever time and it never left from that time forward. (laughs) So I had access to the TV. (laughs) I got the old family box TV too Mm -hmm. when my my dad got a new TV. I only ruined one with magnets. (laughs) Wait, what? You never did that where you like, well, I mean, probably not because, you know, it's really With bad magnets? putting a magnet on the TV. No, I never did that. It totally fries the pixels like they can no wow. longer. Act. It's like a it it takes the chunk out of the TV, basically a usable chunk. No, I've always been. I've been all about yeah, my TV. That. If I heard that it would ruin my TV, I wouldn't. Have I didn't it. know that at the time. I know that as an adult. But as a kid, I was like, <laughs> this should stick. No. Wow. Anyway, that's funny. you guys don't care about that. But hopefully what you do care about. I'm going to give a disclaimer right up top. 
that we're going to do our best to have fun with this. We're going to work through the tough stuff together. I'm already having fun. Yeah. And I think that we'll find on the whole that this show taught us some important lessons. And like I said, like most things we cover, it was surprisingly poignant at the end of the day. And I do want to share that if you are unfamiliar or you've forgotten, the primary message of this show, although it seems really ironic, is actually a lesson that we learn over and over through the children's entertainment that we're consuming, as dark as it may be. Mm -hmm. And that is, you're never really alone. Oh, damn. Way to bring that home. Thanks. So to refresh, I'm going to stop saying so, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, a podcaster's play. (laughs) To refresh your memory, Courage the Cowardly Dog, who was not actually that cowardly, let's be honest, was created by John R. Dilworth. It is an animated series following the titular dog adopted by Muriel and Eustace of nowhere, as in the middle of, (laughs) on his bizarre and otherworldly plight to keep his clueless at best, neglectful at worst family out of harm's way, mostly within and around their iconic farmhouse, which is a magnet for the strange, malicious, and malevolent. Damn. How's that for a summary? No. (laughs) (laughs) Great. You know what? I had some time to I had some time off from the summaries of Are You Afraid of the Dark, so I got to, I got to throw, <laughs> throw out a good one. Yeah, while well, I've been researching Pinocchio, you've been yeah, just writing exactly. summaries. You're right. You wrote ten different summaries and you picked your best one. Huh? Uh-huh. Perfect. Do I get an A? Yeah, you get an A. Thanks. A plus plus plus. <laughs> the series aired on Cartoon Network from its premiere on November twelfth, nineteen ninety nine, mm. until its end on November twenty second, two thousand and two, with four seasons each consisting of 13 two-part episodes. It was distributed to Cartoon Network by Warner Brothers Domestic Television and produced by Dilworth's very own studio called Stretch Films. The show has been called many things over the 24 years since inception, (laughs) like Christian was describing earlier. Many things. From unusual to downright surreal, blurring the lines between comedy, horror, an arguably psychological thriller, yeah. truly expanding the reach of a small but mighty genre of what Christian and I like to call children's horror. Yeah, buddy. And I do want to mention, aside from Are You Afraid of the Dark, much of what we've covered so far falls into the horror category almost circumstantially. Yeah. With darker bits of drama and suspense that tug an otherwise innocuous story into the shadows. But not in this case. Mm-hmm. The horror in Courage is promised upfront. And it was also my and many others' introduction to many of the tropes of the horror genre, for better or worse, like we were saying before. Yeah, that's true. But before we dive straight into this episode, uh, part one of our introduction to Courage the Cowardly Dog, much like we did with Are You Afraid of the Dark, we wanted to give some background on the show and how it came about. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, we also need to take a look at the origins of the network itself, Mm -hmm. which I asked Christian to research for us. Yours truly. So I'm going to pass the baton. Pass the baton. Track and field references. <laughs> <laughs> Christian told me that earlier and he was like, that's track and field. And I'm like, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I didn't I didn't say it to like, I didn't mean it like you then didn't he, know it. Then I he just was ragging on me for being homeschooled. Jesus. Tongue in cheek. Because you, because then you mentioned uh, having a homeschooled field day. <laughs> no, you mentioned it and I confirmed. I'm, you're right. You're right. And I confirmed So in this particular history of Cartoon Network, there are two fellas who are largely responsible for so many of the things that make up our childhood memories, but are also responsible for shaping American entertainment, media, and culture on the whole. Mm -hmm. And these two guys are Fred Siebert and Ted Ted Turner. Turner. 
That's right. Mm -hmm. You probably know the name Turner, but you may not know why. I'm going to refer to Ted Turner as Turner, and I'm going to refer to Fred Siebert as Fred. Okay. I mean, you could just call him Siebert. Nope. Right? Mm -mm. No? No. Okay. The reason I'm doing that is because Ted Turner, his companies are all Turner, Turner, and Fred's companies are Fred. Gotcha. Their personal preference. Gotcha. So a little about Turner. He was born into money, privilege, and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also spent much of his early life in the South, which has stuck with him throughout his entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done a lot with and for and about the South, which I do respect uh, as an aspect of his identity, mm-hmm. but the politics do get a little complicated. As we know, mm-hmm. living in the South ourselves. Yeah. He has a reputation for publicly saying some rather controversial things. Mm. Um, so much so that there's a whole section on his Wikipedia page dedicated to his controversial comments. Whoops. And apparently he's been given the nicknames Captain Outrageous and the Mouth of the South. Oh my God. Which, you know what that makes me think of? South in your mouth. South in your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I can't tell you how many times I heard that. I just wanted to (laughs) gag on whatever kind of South was in my mouth. That's a football cheer. It's a football cheer. Because the university that we both went to had South in it. We went to, and my freshman year was their first year as a college football team. Yes. And so I went to one game. Uh, and never went again. I was going to games then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that was a cheer that some students were yelling. They're not allowed to say it anymore, apparently. Really? Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> Good. So Turner uh, is something of a stereotype in that way, which makes him another example of a negative situation or a person that we don't really want to thank for you know cultivating all the pretty darkness of the eighties and nineties, or at least making it possible. But we really have no choice. Mm-hmm. Turner's father was a billboard magnate. And once Turner was old enough, he began working for his dad's company as the general manager of a branch in Georgia. I was about to say. Nepotism at its finest. Mm-hmm. Well, his dad killed himself in 63. Yes. So Turner suddenly found himself running the immensely successful Turner Advertising Company at just 24 years old. Which I read that too, and that blew my mind. I bought my house at 24, and I'm like, that's nothing no, compared to this. Comparatively. But again, also, we are millennials. <laughs> we weren't expected well, to be able to buy anything ever. So that's also true. Got to put it in perspective. Mm, got to every time. But he, from there, used his father's company to make his initial fortune. So now let's jump ahead 15, 20 years. Okay. Turner has just spent his prime making a shit ton of money uh, and going around buying businesses. Mm -hmm. I want that. Now it's mine. Thank Mm -hmm. you. I see it. I like it. Mm -hmm. I want it. I got it. So he's buying radio stations, television stations, uh, the Atlanta Braves. I was going to say that. The Atlanta Hawks. (laughs) Uh, He bought the call sign for the student-operated radio station at MIT, which was WTBS. Oh, that'll come back. Yeah, which stood for Technology Broadcasting System, Mm -hmm. because he wanted TBS to stand for Turner Broadcasting System. Mm -hmm. He paid them $50,000 in 1978 money. That's over 200 grand in today's money. I'm surprised it wasn't more, honestly. Really? You could probably sell on Instagram with the right handle for that much. <laughs> Me and my friend Heath uh, created sort of like a niche cocktail party brand, a company. Yeah. And it was only bought from us for like $2,000. I mean, that's pretty good. I would have loved to make over 200 grand, <laughs> but we didn't get that. We got, we got two grand. Again, you got to put it in perspective. But I did make a company and sold it and I will sell out every time. Mm-hmm. Got to make that money. You hear that, sponsors? We will sell out to you. You could own us. <laughs> All right. So Turner is 
buying companies and then immediately turning around and selling them because he can't sustain them. He's pushing the limits of his own audacity and he creates the first 24-hour cable news channel, Mm -hmm. CNN. CNN. And then when he used WTBS to create what became TBS, he pioneered what's now known as uh, cable TV superstation. And if I understand this correctly, that's because he was also using the capabilities of satellite to broadcast TBS, not just cable, effectively changing the cable television landscape forever. Forever. It's totally different because of that. Completely different. Also, fascism. That too. 24-hour news network, fascism. I mean, we the 24-hour news cycle is probably largely, you could you could draw parallels and draw lines back to that deal. Oh yeah, for sure. The reason we all doom scroll today, nonstop. (laughs) Absolutely. But that isn't the only landscape he affected. All right. So I've been giving Turner a hard time so far. He said a lot of things about Turner. But you know, look, so one really great thing he did was he did create the Captain Planet series, the cartoon. Um, Environmentalism was always a huge deal for him. uh, So much so that when he opened his Ted's Montana Grill chain of restaurants in the early 2000s, it reintroduced the paper straw, Hmm. which hadn't been manufactured uh, since the 1970s at that point. He's setting trends. Setting trends. See, now we have paper straws everywhere. Left and right, And they just melt in your mouth and it's just fucking disgusting. They do. But he was also a conservationist. At one point, he was the largest private landowner in the U.S., and he's used his land to save the bison from going extinct, which is really great. Um, he's amassed the largest bison herd in the world, um, and I just have to commend him because how else would there be enough bison meat to serve at Ted's Montana Grill? Oh. The American dream. I just hurt in so many different ways that I don't have words for it. I just really loved that. He's saving the bisons, and then you like find out it's just to serve their meat in his restaurant. He's eating them. In August 1986, TBS bought Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer slash United Artists for $1.5 billion. That is a price tag. In today's money, $4 billion. Jeez. And he bought this from another rich white dude named Kirk Kerkorian. <laughs> he was, that's, his, that's his American uh, name. He's Armenian. His actual name is Kirker. Kirker. Kirker Kerkorian. <laughs> So anytime anybody but, spoke to him, they thought it was like a signal. Like what? You know, like like you know, getting somebody. <laughs> oh, what, like a like a barred owl. Yeah, <laughs> but if you're you know have a plan <laughs> and you need to give somebody the signal to do and their go, part of the plan, you, <laughs> you go <laughs> and then they're like, okay, I've heard your signal. I'm gonna commence with the next part of the plan. Listeners, oh, they kinda, understand. It what does I mean. work. No, listen, it works. You go. <laughs> Kukurian. Kukurian. That's a lot of consonants. Sorry, Kirk. <clears throat> you did a great job for, the, for Armenia. You did a lot of good stuff. And media. Uh, so thank you. Yeah, he did. So, okay. All right. So <laughs> we're being idiots. But um, <laughs> what else Turner, Turner bought MGM UA from Kirk. But this put Turner so deeply into debt that he sold it back to Kerkorian 75 days later. Oh, I guess. Okay. Yes. On October 18th. And like I said, this guy just, he just buys companies, can't sustain them and sells them because he, he, he just, he buys things because he just wants to buy them. Mm-hmm. He is a stereotype. He is Bruce Wayne buying the hotel. Oh, right. I, I, 
I thought you were going to say he's Elon Musk buying Twitter. Well, I was going to I was going to say that because I was like today in today's money, because look, that's four billion dollars in today's money. But MGM is worth so much more than that today. Oh, I, don't, sure. I don't know how much they're worth, but you would literally have to beat Elon Musk to buy to buy MGM today because yeah. it would be like billions of dollars. They have a lot of. If I'm not mistaken, they have a lot of film archives. Yes. Which I feel like I'm about they to get own into. a lot of that property. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But like you'd have to throw away that much money and get into a deal that you then can't get out of and buy Twitter for $40 billion. So there are people that could. <laughs> there are people who could. But this is what Turner's doing back in the 80s. He buys it and his entire company, everyone goes, oh my God, Ted, what have you done? Mm-hmm. You have to sell this back. But the funny thing is... Krikorian is a philanthropist, a true philanthropist, and he actually wanted to give a lot of the money to Armenia and serve, you know, that entire country. Like, he's on stamps now. He's on coins or whatever, like, because mm-hmm. he did so much for Armenia. But when Ted goes, hey, um, I'm going to need you to buy this back, mm-hmm. Kirk says, okay, I'll give you $300 million. That's one-fifth of what Turner just paid for it. Wow. So he kept a large amount of those film and television libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he used everything that he kept from Kirk to f- then form Turner Entertainment Company. And then two years later, Turner Entertainment launched the cable channel Turner Network Television, which is TNT, mm-hmm. where Turner could now air much of this film library he'd collected. Uh, and this is the same library where we get Turner Classic Movies from. Yes. Which I thought was so fun. Like, I just, I thought this was so fun. You're learning, it's the origin story of a lot of the things that we watch on TV passively or actively as kids. Mm-hmm. All the time. I could just, I could still see the super smoky, noir looking people on those like Turner, Turner Classic, Classic Movies. movies. Like, oh my God, like I can still feel what that felt like to go, I'm changing the channel. I'm not watching that. <laughs> I watched like, them. I liked them. I don't, I mean, I wish I had. I'd be a better person. As a kid, I watched them. But at the same time, all this was happening, Turner still owned the MGM cartoon library, uh, which consisted of all the pre-1948 Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies and the the Popeye cartoons from Fle- uh, Fleischer Famous Studios. Um, so he, he had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of content. Mm-hmm. And in 1991, Turner had two more major life changes. The year I was born. Hey. Let me just, you know, fluff hey, my shirt baby a little Christian. bit. Hey. Most important baby in this room. Um, well. The first thing is he married Jane Fonda and two... He purchased the Hanna-Barbera Animation Library for $320 million. And changed the course of history. Forever. So seeing as now Turner has amassed one hell of an animation library, he tasked the senior vice president of TNT at the time, Betty Cohen, Mm -hmm. with creating a network where these programs could live. Uh, And by February 1992, Turner Broadcasting announced its plans to launch Cartoon Network, which it did on October 1st, nice. 1992. Nice. The year I was born. Well, the year that you were born, but 29 years to the day that we launched our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Cartoon uh, Network launched on our anniversary, guys. Can you believe that? <laughs> we share an anniversary. That's kind of sweet. So I mentioned Betty Cohen, and I want to give credit where credit is due. She goes relatively unmentioned. Like most women throughout history. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to take a moment and say... Cartoon Network was essentially her brainchild. Uh, He said, hey, make something where I can just show all this stuff. And she then invented Cartoon Network. Yeah. 
but she really is given no credit. Wow. So we're doing it here today. Uh, she got her start in advertising in the late 70s and eventually found her way into the television industry by being the first manager of marketing uh, for Cable Health Network in 82. After which, she became the marketing director for Nickelodeon from 84 to 88. Wow. Uh, at which point she joined TBS and worked her way up into becoming TNT Senior Vice President, uh, which is when she was asked to develop Cartoon Network, where she served as president of that company until 2001. What a reign. Really remarkable. And also the fact that she came from Nickelodeon and she kind of had a hand in everything. Yep, yep. Yeah, she was there from the beginning of all these things. Thank you, Betty. Yeah, thanks, Betty. I mean, she's one of the people who really made it made it happen. She worked her way up through the ranks as a woman in this industry predominantly run by men and mm. got to a point of power. We love you, Betty, wherever you are, wherever mm. you ended up. If we could get her on the show and talk to her for wow. a Patreon. 2001. 2001. And they left over disagreements with uh, somebody else who was in power of TBS at, the point, brief, at that point. Brief side note. It may be relevant. Listener may enjoy it. I don't know. But I'm I love Boy Meets World and the podcast Pod Meets World is amazing because it's mm -hmm. three three of the leads talking about everything. And I have wondered my entire life what happened to April Kelly because every episode of Boy Meets World has the credits yeah. uh, created by Michael Jacobs and April Kelly. And they're uncovering now what happened to April Kelly. Mm. Uh they were told different things than the reality when they were children, you know, on the show. Of course, yeah. Michael Jacobs controlled that entire narrative, and it's wild. Damn. Just, um, I just... That's tough. Women in entertainment have been grossly, grossly underappreciated mm -hmm. for decades and decades. And this was, you know, Boy Meets World was the early to mid-90s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's all around this time. It just, it pains me what women in that industry in all industries, but that one especially had to go through because they were responsible. They had a hand in creating something that's so important to me. Yeah. And so many people our age and they get really none of the credit. So this stuff is really fun. When Cartoon Network officially launched, I, I looked up the a, a YouTube video version of it and everything leading up to the exact moment that it launches there's a big clock that's this like spinning very quickly through each each number on the clock is a different cartoon character's face Aww. and the clock the hands are just going like rapidly around and there's this countdown meter of like you know this many uh, minutes or seconds until we talk cartoons nice and when it reached zero the first thing that happened was a series of cartoon explosions set to the finale of Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. Nice. Like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it was very cool. It was like, <laughs> I'm going to lay in a, a, a track. Um, followed, that was all followed by a sort of a show and tell guide to the network by the Tom and Jerry character Droopy Dog. Oh, Droopy. Welcome to the world's first and only cartoon network. The home of the cartoon stars. To help you find your way around here, I'd like to personally present Droopy's Guide to the Cartoon Network. First things first, you need to be in tune with your new environment. This is what you're gonna see here on the network. <laughs> I can't do a droopy dog voice. But, but you got um, the point across. I always do, in some way. Uh, and this all lasts about three minutes, followed immediately by the first ever Cartoon Network episode. 
the Bugs Bunny cartoon, mm-hmm. Rhapsody Rabbit. I was going to say, which was Bugs Bunny. <laughs> yep. Fitting, honestly, very fitting. Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc. When Cartoon Network launched, its library already had 8,500 hours of cartoons. Wow. It wasn't the first cable channel to rely on cartoons to attract its target demographic, but it was the first 24-hour single genre channel with animation as its main theme. Mm Mm-hmm. Because there was like Nickelodeon, Disney, uh, I think the Family Channel was doing or something was already doing some cartoons. But this is the only one, the first one that was 24 hours of cartoons. 24 hour, nothing but cartoons. Nothing but cartoons. Which is a new format. I mean, at the time. And this was a risky move. But Turner believed in the approach because of his success with CNN. Mm-hmm. So he was like, well, I've done it before. People want things I'll do it again. all the time. They want it. <laughs> they do. Well, either we wanted it. Or this made it accessible and therefore we felt like we needed it. Sure. I'm not saying it's great. Nope. But. It has it has its own consequences. Still, only 233 cable systems carried Cartoon Network at first, when it first launched. So Turner lumped it into cable packages with his other channels, like TBS, TNT. And then once it started receiving higher and higher ratings, more cable systems picked it up. Mm-hmm. And by 1994... Cartoon Network was the fifth most popular cable channel in the U.S. Wow. So it worked its way up real fast. In my mind, like from childhood, I associate all of those networks together. CNN, TNT, Cartoon Network. Like, I don't know if there were bumpers or different ads. I'm sure there was some crossover. For like advertising different networks. Well, there were cartoons that were airing on Cartoon Network that were also airing on TBS and TNT mm-hmm. at certain times of the day, you know? That makes sense. I'm sure we did. I'm sure when you were like Flipping scrolling. channels, I would see Bugs Bunny on, on TBS. I would see one and I'd go like, I don't want to watch this. Let me see what's on TBS. I'd go to TBS. Yeah. And see what's there. So he was just like putting things where it fit. Sure. When you're that rich, you can just do whatever you want and Mm -hmm. take risks and nothing matters. Except you can't buy MGM. You know, we're going to be there when people give to our Patreon. (laughs) That's why we have the Patreon. Yeah, you guys are going to make us the next Ted Turner. (laughs) We're going to go buy Warner Brothers and we're going to own everything that's been around since the 80s. Sure. Yeah. Well, since the 40s. Warner Brothers would be more likely to buy us. Please. (laughs) Please buy us. So the first actual original series to run on Cartoon Network was The Moxie Show, a.k.a. The Moxie Pirate Show, a.k.a. The Moxie and Flea Show. Did you ever watch those? Those were very early Cartoon Network. We were like babies. I don't think I've ever seen it. So this only ran for like two years, uh, from December 93 to Christmas Day 95. Uh, So I don't remember ever watching it, really. I was not quite in control of the remote yet. My parents would probably turn things on for me. Probably. I think I was still watching Barney in in this era <laughs> and like Blue's Clues and stuff was, on Nickelodeon. I was watching, yeah, Little Bear. Little Bear. Oh my God, Little Bear. I wish that was darker. We could cover it. I know. But since this series, The Moxie Show, was more of an anthology style, there wasn't a whole lot of structure to it. Uh, the, the show that is considered Cartoon Network's first originally produced series is Space Ghost Coast, Coast to, to Coast. Coast. And I can't prove it, but... I feel like the show may have been partially inspired by the success of Art Bell's Coast to Coast AM. I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's very similar. I'm pretty sure. So Space Coast, Coast to Coast, uh, seems like a really odd choice to start a cartoon channel for children with a show like that. Mm -hmm. Because it's essentially an ironic deconstruction of a late night talk show. Mm -hmm. And like my parents watched Jay Leno 
So I kind of got the concept, mm-hmm. and I watched Space Ghost, Ghost to Ghost all the time. I didn't. That's the thing. I don't like, know I, that I I've got seen it, it, but I didn't watch it constantly. I don't know that I understood it, but I watched it because I felt like, oh, this is a talk show for children. <laughs> uh, it was really. I'm weird. supposed to watch know. this because my parents watch talk shows. Very sophisticated with my pretzels and my chocolate milk. <laughs> so, uh, as we've discussed before on this podcast, Space Ghost was an old Hanna-Barbera cartoon from the 1960s. So the animators at Cartoon Network mostly used recycled animation cells from the Hanna-Barbera archives. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting that they just sort of like With it being a talk show, they didn't need to animate him in a ton of different places. Fully animated. They could get away with the set, you know, the reactions, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So minimal effort, maximum return. Just getting things off the ground. It seems like a smart move. Bet it was Betty. Maybe it was Betty. Hey, (laughs) could be. The most extreme difference that I found between the origins of Nickelodeon and the origins of of Cartoon Network, which was my main goal for this research, was to figure out how they were different and how they were similar. Mm -hmm. Those differences is that Nick wanted to appeal to children while Cartoon Network wanted to appeal to adults. Mm-hmm. They wanted to bring in the grown-ups who grew up watching the yes. older cartoons, yes. uh, like Looney Tunes, Tom and Jerry, Popeye, Space mm-hmm. Ghost. And this is why we remember such strange, inappropriate cartoons from those early years, like Cow and Chicken and Johnny Bravo. Mm-hmm. And Space Ghost Coast to Coast was instrumental in establishing that appeal to older audiences. I was just going to say that was the link between the past and the present. Yeah. It was really strange. And I remember one time, one of my strongest memories from when I was a kid, sitting up one night watching Tom and Jerry, and uh, my dad came in. He sat on the foot of my bed and was watching it with me. And he was like, you know, I used to watch Tom and Jerry when I was your age. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how did he watch this when he was a kid? If I'm watching it now. And I just didn't, I couldn't put it together. Yeah. This spans generations, guys. It's really cool Definitely. stuff. So they were they were putting these cartoons on this network because they were hoping people like my dad would sit down and watch mm-hmm. it. So for a recap very quickly, is it fair to say Nickelodeon's focus was original content for actual children? Yeah. Cartoon Network's focus was recycled content and repurposed content for children at heart. Children at heart. Yes. So that might be actual children or it might be teenagers Mm -hmm. or young adults or adults. Mm -hmm. Anybody who was interested. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they they were trying to reach a broad scope, which is why there was such a broad spectrum of content. And which answers many of our questions, just right off the bat, answers many of our questions about why was this so dark? Why was this allowed to be so dark? It wasn't ever really meant for us. As long as it was suitable to show on television, Turner was going to put it on Cartoon Network. And that was it. And I'm not mad about it because it shaped I mean, I'm not mad a either. lot of the way that I think, a lot of the <laughs> way that mad. I write, a lot of the way that I create. So there's a lot of back and forth between Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. And I'm going to keep talking about that stuff. Mm-hmm. But this is why, like, if you were to sit down and compare Nick at Night versus Adult Swim, mm-hmm. Nick at Night is family friendly. Adult Swim is not family nope, friendly. Not at all. Those That's for adults. Adults. And it was on Cartoon Network. And you literally went from your children's cartoons, your family friendly cartoons to inappropriate adult animation, mm-hmm. literally from one hour to the next. And I watched a lot of it. I didn't. I, see, that's the other thing. I wasn't allowed. I wasn't allowed. When Adult Swim came on when that was a, the block of programming. I was. I had. I was supposed to turn it off. I was supposed to as well, <laughs> but <laughs> I would just turn it down. And most of the time, it didn't interest me the same way. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I mostly just watched Aqua Teen, uh, Hunger Force. Force, and um, home videos or whatever, and home movies or something. Home movies. Home movies. Yeah, I think that was a later one. Hmm. 
I used to be able to do the uh, the meatball voice from Aqua Teen Hunger <laughs> <laughs> Force. Hi, man. Hi. All right. So enter Fred Siebert. Mm-hmm. Fred became the president of Hanna-Barbera in 1992 and led it into a new golden age the studio hadn't known for many years. Uh, Hanna-Barbera's last successful show was The Smurfs, Mm -hmm. which ran from 81 to 89. And as great as The Smurfs was, as much as I loved it, that means Hanna-Barbera hadn't produced a new show in over a decade. Wow. Hanna-Barbera is my dad's favorite. Like those characters, Yogi Bear. The Jetsons, um, the Flintstones. All Hanna-Barbera. All cartoons that my dad and I kind of bonded over Mm -hmm. because he loved them from, if not his childhood, his teenage young adult life was scooby-doo hanna-barbera yes okay i thought so mm-hmm. yeah so all those classics man. 1969 I, I love looney tunes i love the, the merry melodies and all that stuff but if i had to pick from all this it might be hanna-barbera wow to, to live like if i had to pick one that's intense i couldn't i don't know i would t- i would have to think about it i don't know it's tough it's really tough so fred was really really great news for hanna-barbera because just prior to this he was absolutely crushing the children's entertainment game over at Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump around in Fred's timeline here. Fred Siebert is one of those rare people who single-handedly changed, shaped, and improved American pop culture throughout the 80s and 90s. Uh, He worked with a bunch of different people, but he was the through line for everything. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know his name, there are a few important things you should know about Fred Siebert. The first thing is he was a co-founder of MTV. Mm -hmm. He was in charge of the team that really developed the brand and identity of MTV, which when it began was sight on sound uh, and kind of the the reason he got into this music television in the first place is because he had previously been a music producer. Wow. uh, And he had also worked in radio, specifically media promotion for radio. He lived a lot of lives. Actually, it's kind of a joke is he's had like five different lives, five different careers, wow. and they're all in different industries. It's pretty cool. He's been nominated. He's won awards. He's a mm-hmm. highly decorated uh, contributor to our childhood. Keep his name in mind, <laughs> listener, because I will bring him up again. So one of the things that nobody really talks about anymore is how MTV changed the television industry. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Fred's approach to MTV, networks or systems didn't just think of themselves as combinations of channels and programs that supported a specific genre of entertainment. They started to think of themselves as brands. Mm -hmm. So he did this with MTV, Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, and eventually he brought all this knowledge to Cartoon Network through Hannah Morbera. So the second thing about Fred Siebert, he saved Nickelodeon. At this time, In the mid-80s, Nickelodeon was lumped into MTV Networks with MTV and VH1. MTV Networks at this time had a new president who was unhappy with how things were going, so he started firing people. (laughs) Also, Also at this time, Fred had created the world's first media branding company with his longtime friend and creative partner, Alan Goodman. It was literally like Fred and Alan Inc. or something, (laughs) and Alan was someone he'd He'd worked with uh, very closely at, at MTV for a long time. I'm just, I'm imagining these things being new concepts. <laughs> yeah, it's and like brand new. Branding is brand new, ironically. And it's also... And this is just the 80s. Yeah, it's, it's just the 80s. And it's a concept that like 13-year-olds on TikTok now understand and feel the need to like create their brand. And They learn it at like 12 years old mm-hmm. and it's implicit. Yeah, it's it's something that people just inherently know. And these were new ideas that he was able to 
like you said, bring his knowledge to these networks, but he's also able to create a company <laughs> that's based on that, which now, you know, I, that's what I do too. He just saw it. He had the foresight to see like, this is what could be. Mm-hmm. That's why I say he's so rare. Somebody who can literally imagine something that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do. It is hard to do. Almost everything is a copy of a copy. Mm-hmm. But these people were having original thoughts. And it's going to make a lot of sense to you, listener, when we dive into more of the courage history, because Fred Siebert has a hand in that. So yeah, the, the new president was firing a bunch of people. And I don't know if Fred and Alan were fired or if they were just um, recommended by this guy. But Fred and Alan took their show on the road to Nickelodeon in 1984, when Nickelodeon was the lowest rated cable network in America. Ouch. Six months later, Nickelodeon was first in the ratings, thanks to the efforts of these two guys. You flipped it. Incredible. Six months. Crazy. Fred and Alan stuck with Nick for a while. They created Nick at Night. Which I love. (laughs) They developed the concept and the branding for Nicktoons. And they did all of this until 92, when Fred took the position of president of Hanna-Barbera, which by then had already been acquired by Turner Broadcasting. So no doubt they wanted Fred's expertise in branding this new network that would be all about cartoons. Mm -hmm. The third thing about Fred, he supplied Cartoon Network with all of its greatest original shows, short of Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, and Ed, Ed, Nettie. <laughs> so Fred once again struck gold when he created What a Cartoon, which was a cartoon incubator that provided an opportunity for creators from all over the world to pitch and create their own animated show concepts. What? What a Cartoon premiered under the name World Premiere Tunes in February 1995, Mm -hmm. but was quickly changed to the What a Cartoon Show. The exclamation point is important. Yeah, What a Cartoon Show. (laughs) And then just later to the Cartoon Cartoon Show, because Cartoon Cartoons are to Cartoon Network as Nicktoons are to Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. It's just original animated content. I remember bumpers and advertisements for Cartoon Cartoons. Cartoon Cartoon. Cartoon Cartoon. Mm -hmm. Man. The repetition. The things that just (laughs) stuck in my mind. Oh, yeah. Honestly, all this very much confused me when I was researching this because I was (laughs) like... Because everything's a cartoon and it's all cartoon. It's Cartoon Network, but it's cartoon cartoon, but it's what a cartoon. And oh my God, (laughs) what are cartoons? (laughs) I don't even know anymore. The word has lost all meaning. And most of the cartoons also featured live action things. Yeah. (laughs) So here's the thing about what a cartoon. It was modeled after the golden age of cartoons from the mid 20th century. Not only in style and length, but also in the creative environment and atmosphere. Creative power was returned to and remained with the animators and artists and writers, giving them sole creative freedom to make their own iconic cartoon characters. It's very important to Fred Siebert Mm -hmm. and everything that he does. His first rule is creators first. Every time. Which is awesome. Very, very cool. And rare in an executive. Yes. But I mean, he is one of those people that we keep talking about. He's he's in our roster now. Yeah. Uh, for people who are just incredible uh, creators of children's entertainment. Adding him, and and we're gonna add John Dilworth also. We better, we better. <laughs> it's just like these are also just decent people. Exactly. That's that is at the heart of it, and I'm gonna say that, and and I'm gonna get there. Yeah. But that's at the heart of it is that they are just they're good people, decent people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Doesn't take much. The bar is on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) It's not hard 
to be a real decent person. It isn't hard, but it's rare. And it shines in this industry when these people are amazing. So Fred just like took a look at everything that he was just put in charge of. And he was like, this is what they all did back in the 40s and the 50s. Let's just do something like that again. Mm -hmm. Like if it worked before, it can work again. And he had also just seen this type of environment work over at Nickelodeon with their original three Nicktoons, Mm -hmm. Doug, Ren and Stimpy, and Rugrats. Mm -hmm. So he was given the green light to move forward with this this idea he had. And they received pitches from about 5,000 people all across the world, uh, ages ranging from 20 to 70 years old. From these thousands of pitches they received, they brought in 48 original animated short films, and they would lump three episodes together to make a full hour of what a cartoon content, and from there would see how well the short films tested. And from these 48, a handful were well enough received to be given fully produced runs. The hands down most popular short was Dexter's Lab. I think there were two Dexter's Lab shorts, Mm -hmm. and those were the most popular ones. But the other shows included Cow and Chicken, I Am Weasel, Johnny Bravo, Mm -hmm. The Powerpuff Girls, and Courage the Cowardly Dog. What a cartoon. (laughs) What a cartoon. What a cartoon. Thank you, Christian, for sharing with us the history of Cartoon Network. Hey, you know what? Very much appreciated. Anytime you need, I got you. Thank you. And we needed to know the background of Cartoon Network so that I could now merge timelines with you Mm -hmm. and share about the history of our friend, John R. Dilworth, creator of Courage the Cowardly Dog. I'm pumped to hear this because I've seen his name just plastered across the screen. Right? (laughs) Hundreds of times. Hundreds. And since we've discussed people like DJ McHale and Craig Bartlett at length, I think it's only right that we get to know John a little bit better as well. Mm -hmm. Or Dilly, as he calls himself. Do you think Dilly Dallies? Oh, Dilly Dallies. Dilly loves to dally. (laughs) (laughs) So... John Dilworth, who I would describe from my readings this week as unique and otherworldly himself, graduated with a Bachelor of Fine Arts from the School of Visual Arts in New York in 1985. From there, he became an art director at Baldy Bloom and Whelan Advertising, but continued to work on his own films in his spare time, providing much of his own funding. I know the feeling, John. Yeah, like you do. (laughs) We know how you feel. Been there, done that, pal. Eventually, he founded his own animation studio, Stretch Films, in 1991 and incorporated in 1994. During this time, he was working on short films, and several of which aired on major networks, including MTV, Hmm. and also finding success working on the openings of other animated shows. His 1995 short, The Dirty Birdie, received (laughs) international recognition. The Dirty Birdie. (laughs) And caught the attention of Hanna-Barbera's president at the time, Fred Siebert. Oh, Fred. And it's a good thing that Fred noticed this because John described himself as being broke after the effort it took in his studio to hand draw this short. Yeah. And it was from this meeting that Courage as we know him was eventually born. Huh. Wow. I'll take a quick pause as we talk about John Dilworth because I want to make note of this. Uh, Throughout his career, he worked on different opening sequences, like I said, including Nicktoons like Doug, Rugrats, My Life as a Teenage Robot. Really? As well as the Disney animated series, PB&J Otter. Okay. I don't know that one. this, (laughs) Not Courage, is somehow where I remember seeing his name pop up all the time as a tween while my sister was watching the show. Yeah. Wow. I remember seeing his name across that every time. Wild. He also created a series of nine animated shorts for Sesame Street based on his independent film, Noodles and Ned. One notable thing about John Dilworth that 
was said both about him and directly by him is that he had a penchant for giving back and was always eager to fund and mentor and is, was and is, always eager to fund and mentor other artists, painters, and dreamers, as he called them. Hmm. Whenever he speaks, you can tell this about him. He seems to be a truly curious and compassionate person, and he's attempting to not only build a legacy, but to push the very edges of his own imagination at every opportunity. Nice. He says that he wants to give opportunities to other dreamers because when he was a puppy, his words, Mm -hmm. he knew how difficult it was to find support like that. Yeah, he's not wrong. In 2019, John did an interview with a student journalist at Fort Hayes State University. And in early 2022, he did an interview with someone who calls themselves the cartoon scientist. Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to provide quotes and pull from some of those interviews to give you perspective from John himself. Sweet. As well as a couple of other uh, blog and magazine articles from some of the creators, head writer, etc. Cool. But maybe we can talk to John one day because he's a character. <laughs> That'd be sweet. He's a character. If we rewind the Courage tape all the way back to the beginning, sources agree that the series owes its life to the seven-minute short, The Chicken from Outer Space, created by John Dilworth in 1996, funded by Hanna-Barbera due to that meeting that I mentioned. Mm. It became sort of a pilot to the show. Dude, I remember watching this show, this uh, pilot, so many times. Yeah. Like, I remember talking about this to people and them being like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I've never even seen that. I remembered it very well also. I'm like, so they, the, they probably the aired it many Alien, times. Put the chicken and the eggs. In the university journalism interview, John was asked where the idea for Courage came from. He says that he often says that it started with a pencil, (laughs) which of course it does, John. He's very literal like that. So he was visiting a farm where his girlfriend's family lived and worked. And one afternoon, they were sitting on the porch having a refreshment. A hard lemonade. He says, and I quote, the wheat was rippling from the hot wind. It was like being on the sea. Fireflies turned the grass festive. Admiring the monstrous clouds that dominate the sky out there, an intense ball of light suddenly appeared, and I was startled by the feeling that it was staring at us. Hmm. And just as suddenly, it disappeared. I asked my hostess, what was that? And she replied, grinning, who knows? Oh, wow. I started writing the story of the alien chicken the next day. That's incredible. (laughs) That's incredible. That's where it came from. The character of Courage himself grew out of an earlier character of John Dilworth called Hamilton, who appeared in his short Smart Talk with Raisin, which was a pilot actually created for MTV. Okay. I'll give a brief rundown if you're unfamiliar with the chickens that Christian is passionately yelling about. (laughs) The plot of this short follows the same characters that we come to know through the show as Courage, Eustace, and Mariel. Mm -hmm. Courage alerts the couple to a UFO, and we see a space chicken emerge from a spaceship that lands. Space chicken. And in typical Courage fashion, when they follow him to investigate this UFO, it's disappeared. The chicken invades their hen house and infects the eggs with basically chicken pox, as John Dilbert says, which Eustace then eats, and he begins to transform into chicken himself. Because Meryl sees what's going on with Eustace, she avoids the eggs, And at this point, Courage is ambushing the chicken with a slingshot. (laughs) Then Courage and the space chicken engage in several games, like rock, paper, scissors, to negotiate for Muriel's safety. They're playing checkers, they're they're arm wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Eustace has fully transformed and is advancing menacingly on Muriel. Mm -hmm. After claiming victory in these Olympic games, Courage orders the space chicken to leave Earth, but instead he attempts to assassinate Courage, who dodges the ray gun, 
which leads to it bouncing back onto the chicken. Try to do a nice roast chicken. Seemingly destroying him. He looked delicious. <laughs> Courage then shoots the alien Eustace with the same gun, causing him to disintegrate into a pile of ash. Then Courage and Muriel saved the day. You know, everything's good again. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. relaxing in their rocking chair. And a mouse comes out of the wall and decides to eat a pile of ash on the floor. <laughs> and then his eyes change color. Into the classic... Alien chicken red eyes. And this makes Courage scream. Classic Courage scream. Classic Courage. And then he turns to the camera. Camera in quotes. This shouldn't happen to a dog. Ouch! This shouldn't happen to a dog. (laughs) And that's the whole short. Wasn't that a common thing? I don't remember. I'm going to remember a lot more as we watch it because I haven't just rewatched Courage. But is it a common thing that Eustace kind of is forgotten, like left to the yes. devices and yes. it always resets. I think so. Because Courage doesn't really mind when that happens and we'll get to why. Because he just wants to save Muriel. Exactly. Yeah, it was really funny. I, I remembered so much watching this because even when he's pulling the whole like lassie dog, come see what I see. He's like changing shape, mm-hmm. you know, transforming to show them like, oh, I'm a UFO. I'm a robot alien thing. Like he's literally like shape shifting. Right. To convey because he, you know, he doesn't speak. To them. Right. But I was just remembering so many classic courage things. Tropes from courage, really. Ooga booga just, booga. Yeah. Yeah. It was so crazy that they had so much. He, John Dilworth, had so much of it, like, fleshed out just from the short. Already in this pilot, yeah. hmm So the short aired as part of Cartoon Network's What a Cartoon! What a Cartoon! Like said, which was obviously an innovation by the same president who had believed in Dilworth and given him the funding, uh, Fred Siebert. hmm And like you said, the short had no dialogue except for Courage's ending line, which was spoken by voice actor Howard Hoffman, Mm -hmm. who provided all of the other vocal sounds and effects for that short. Yeah, yeah. And we do see the alien chicken come back later in the series. Son of the chicken from outer space or whatever. We'll watch out for him. The Chicken from Outer Space was actually nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film at the 68th Academy Awards, Mm. which was five days prior to the Cartoon Network premiere. Really? But it lost to the Wallace and Gromit short, A Close Shave. (laughs) It's hard to beat Wallace and Gromit, though, let's be Mm. be honest. Mm. Is it? Uh, I would much prefer Courage. Well, me too, but at the time, Wallace and Gromit was huge. They were big. They they were winning. It was a popularity contest. You know, all that stuff Mm -hmm. is rigged anyway. Of course, yeah. Nothing is sacred. Dilworth was okay with the loss because Cartoon Network, namely an executive, Linda Siminski, hmm. loved the short so much that they commissioned Dilworth to turn it into a series. But not before John Dilworth did some pitching. Yeah. In the interview with the university, John claims that he, quotes, went to Hollywood and pitched the storyboard wearing full spaceman gear. <laughs> I found this awesome silver one piece, jazzed it up with alien decals, spray painted boots silver, and found a helmet, and I rigged a propeller on top. I was also juggling. <laughs> the room was full of executives. They all loved it. <laughs> so Dilly was doing a little bit of dallying. Dilly was dallying. I see where he's this doing was one his, of the his dilly dallying. First dilly dallying. Wow. Uh, Good for the him. The first, what's, what's the word? This was one of Dilly's first forays into dallying. <laughs> And I, from, I I read conflicting things, but it seems like he was actually pitching a feature film at the time. Hmm. Some sources also claim that he didn't take the spacesuit off for a full week. What? So this is the kind of mind that we're working with, with in John Dilworth. 
He also concedes that the Oscar nomination probably helped him secure the deal for a series, and it wasn't entirely due to his space. <laughs> yeah, I could see that would help you a little bit. Dilworth also says that the reason it took a few years between developing Courage after the success of Chicken from Outer Space was because he didn't want to shutter his studio and move to Hanna-Barbera's. Right. So, of right. course, he and John Siebert and Ted Turner, I assume, other executives at Cartoon Network eventually worked it out. That's really interesting. I wonder if the reason why he didn't want to move his animation studio to Hanna-Barbera's is because he was probably working with people he trusted and cared about and was like, well, if I move there, they -hmm. don't have jobs. Do you you think that may have been kind of- I don't uh, know it was so much that they didn't have jobs, but it was, I can't uproot all these people and I do believe in these people and I want to work with these people. Okay. I think it was a lot of that. Because he would have moved across the country, presumably, to go work in probably Los Angeles Right, Yeah, he would have had to. Yeah. Wow, that's wild. I think he just kind of dug his heels in and said, I'm going to stay in New York. And that's where he was, you know, kind of from. That's where he went to school. To be like, went to school. you want this, but I'm going to risk throwing all this away by not moving and doing what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. That's pretty ballsy. <laughs> yeah. and uh, But he pretty had cool. something, he had something that they wanted. At the end of the day, that's really what worked in his favor. He knew what he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's a skill set all in its own is kind of knowing what you have. Yeah. He knew that it had legs. He knew where he could go with it and he knew where he wanted to go with it. And he also knew that it really aligned with what they were trying to build at Cartoon Network. Yeah. And he was right. He was right. That's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Not pretty dark. Not yet. <laughs> We're almost there. So next time, this is a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then next time you're going to get way deeper into the production of the yes, show. I want to really dive into Courage, the production, the, the people behind it, the minds behind it. You know, we've learned mm-hmm. a little bit about Siebert and Dilworth, but I want to dive into some of the sound designers, the writers, and the yeah. pretty dark themes and material. I'm excited about that because I feel... I always am interested in how do you go from I have this one idea, I have this one thing to have an entire series of a show that's fully fleshed out with all these different people working on it. And Mm -hmm. I always kind of get to that intimidated point where I'm like, I'd love to pursue something, but what if they look at you and go, okay, so like, what other ideas do you have? Mm-hmm. And I know that some people like live off of that kind of like I feel like thrill. Dilworth is the kind of person that kind of thrives in that environment. I don't necessarily. Of course he appreciates but... collaborating and ideas and everything, but I think he just is a, like, I'll, I'll say it, I'll discuss it some in part yeah, two. Yeah, I can't like wait to hear f- about it. He's a fountain of just weird stuff. That's cool. I'm, <laughs> I'm so and excited. And I don't know what that's like. It's like David Bowie, you know, these creatives yeah. that have this other sense. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to me. Otherworldly. I mean, you said that earlier mm-hmm. and that was that was used to uh, refer to uh, David Bowie too. Mm-hmm. And I cannot wait for part two. I'm super pumped about that. We hope you want part two as well, listener. God. Hang yeah, on tight. They will. It's coming. They're ready. Um, but to cap off this episode, I just had some fun facts about Fred Siebert and the What a Cartoon whole sort of concept. Yeah. Let's hit those. So <laughs> the coolest thing about Fred that I found college dropout. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he said he spent more time at the school's radio station headquarters than he did going to class. Nice. He knew where he was going. He knew what he wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, I love that. You know what? College isn't for everybody and you don't oh have God, to go and you don't have not. to finish. Definitely not. And technically Ted Turner didn't graduate either, but one, he never needed to. Sure. And two, it's because he was kicked out of school, <laughs> not because he just didn't want to finish. I guess that is a different beast. It's He was going to graduate, but then he just 
he got kicked out, apparently, presumably because there was a female in his dorm. Whoa. And they said, you're out of here, Ted. What year would that have been? Oh, well, he would have been, you know, maybe 21. So, because he, let me go back. He took over the family business at 24 years old. It was 63. So we can assume it was maybe 1960. Wow. Yeah. Just because he's a ladies' man. Yeah, he was just too smooth. I mean, he got Jane Fonda, so. Right. He had to have had something. He had the riz. Going for him. As the kids are saying the now. The riz. Have you heard that? Oh no, <laughs> my God. I don't know half of what they say these days. I, yeah, I know I'm speaking to the millennials here, but TikTok keeps me somewhat informed. And they call it riz. Like when you can pull, like pull the uh, preferred gender. You can get laid. You can get Get laid, they call that Riz, oh. and it comes from charisma. I see. Riz. Charisma. I see. Mm-hmm. Wow. You learn something yeah. new every day. <laughs> you know, I also just learned that the fan in my attic is um, temperature controlled. I can set the temperature at which it turns on. I never knew that. Wow. Lived here for seven years, and the HVAC guy was like, you know, you can program that. And I was like, wow, no, I didn't know that. So <laughs> You're never yeah. too old to learn. You guys, you know what? <laughs> never too old to learn. <laughs> And uh, I wanted to give some honorable mentions for the original What a Cartoon incubator. Sure. So one of the other shorts that was not picked up was called Larry and Steve. And this was all about a dog who gets adopted by a dimwit guy who can speak dog language. This short was created by Seth MacFarlane. (laughs) And when Cartoon Network didn't pick it up, Seth developed it further into what became Family Guy. Mm -hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So pretty faithful that he didn't get it. So that's also- What's the dog's name? Everybody's yelling at me. Brian? Yeah, Brian. Mm-hmm. That was Brian. I mean, yeah. I mean, it wasn't Brian and Peter, but- It was proto, proto he, he Brian. He furthered it. Right, right, right. Yeah. You don't have to graduate college. You can have girls in your dorm, and you can also not You might get, get rejected by a major network. You can be rejected by Cartoon Network and still have a successful career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the most successful in entertainment, honestly. Uh, and the other that's really just important to me was Mina and the Count. Remember that? Have you ever heard about that? Yes. I think I've, I think I've referenced it on the show. Tell me why I know that. <laughs> okay, so Mina and the Count was created by Rob Rinzetti. And this is the only other of the shows from those original 48 that I wish had been further developed. Um, it's about a little girl who gets mixed up with Vlad the Count, who is a vampire that is sort of forced into being her friend mm-hmm. against his will kind of thing. Sounds kind of like um, Lydia and Beetlejuice. Yeah, except that Beetlejuice wanted to be there. Oh, okay. And she didn't want him. Yeah, that's true. But it was whereas the, the girl wants Vlad, but he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Um, it sounds more like a uh, Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Mm-hmm. With death walking around. But anyway, um, there ended up being a few more episodes that Rob created for Fred's future cartoon incubators that I'm about to talk about, but it was never officially picked up. But Rob Renzetti went on to direct episodes of Dexter's Lab, nice. Powerpuff Girls, Samurai Jack. Oh my God, I love Samurai Jack. And he eventually created My Life as a Teenage Robot. Crazy. There's so much overlap. There really is. Everywhere. We, we'll talk about Rob Renzetti in the future so much more without a doubt. We'll get into all of him, all of his history and everything. We'll, we'll get all, all into him. We'll get all up inside of his guts. Mm. And then- You took it one step too far. Oh God, every time. <laughs> so the other future incubators that Fred uh, created, his most recent version of it ended in 2018. Uh, and that was the Go cartoons. But the important ones that I want to mention are the two that followed What a Cartoon. So the next one he did was Oh Yeah Cartoons uh, for Nickelodeon. 
which resulted in the Fairly Odd Parents, wow. Chalk Zone, and My Life as a Teenage Robot. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he did random cartoons for Nickelodeon again, which resulted in something called Fanboy and Chum Chum, but also two shows from Pendleton Ward, Bravest Warriors and Adventure Time, Yeah, which was then picked up by Cartoon Network. Right. And I love Pendleton Ward as a thinker, an animator, a creator, a writer. He had a hand in doing uh, some of the Over the Garden Wall. It's crazy to me that, and really cool, that there was so much innovation in animation mm-hmm. at this time in history. Yeah. And yeah. that they used this medium. You know, they're like, we want your ideas. We want your thoughts. We want to support new creators. It wasn't just a Dilworth thing. It was really a network thing for Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. Yeah. They gave these creators a leg up. It gave them, it gave these creators a platform to, you know, peddle their wares or whatever the word is. <laughs> yeah. To get out there, to get noticed. I think it's exciting to talk about this on That's Pretty Dark because it is the root of a lot of the entertainment that we grew up watching. A lot of the entertainment that seems out of the box or offbeat came from incubators like this. Yeah, yeah. And executives that were willing to give those creatives a chance. It's almost the manifestation of the the phrase, uh, like throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. Pretty much. <laughs> Thousands of pitches and then dozens of, mm-hmm. of actual created, produced animated shorts just to see what people enjoyed. That's what makes these cartoons so good. Yeah. I agree. They were the best of the best. You know, the cream rises to the top or whatever. Ooh, the cream like, of the crop. Mm. <laughs> also, hawk their wares. I was going to say hawk, and I was like, I said that earlier. It didn't feel right, so I didn't, <laughs> didn't say it again. <laughs> Undiagnosed ADHD. Mm. Loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> That is the definition of ADHD right there. I feel like I interrupted you. You had a... No, that was funny. I enjoyed that. One last thing about Fred is he's he's still producing today through his company, Fred Films. Okay. Which he created after resigning from his previous company, Frederator Studios. Ah, yes. Frederator. Yeah. And I mean, of course, there's all, he's, he's received an AIGA medal. He's won several Emmys and Annie's and he's a member of the animation magazine hall of fame. Wow. Just to cap off That's Fred's really secret cool. there for everybody. I was going to do basically the same thing about John Dilworth. Oh yeah. He's still regularly posting to the stretch films, YouTube channel. Okay. He shares animation content, interviews, all kinds of stuff. His voice when he speaks reminds me so much of horror from the page master. Oh, really? He sounds so much like that character. It's crazy. <laughs> but the short that I talked about, including the shorts that I talked about, including the Dirty Birdie, Chicken from Outer Space, Noodles and Ned, all those things, can still be viewed probably on his YouTube, but definitely also on his stretchfilms.com site which is complete with cheesy 2000s mouseover sound effects that took me an embarrassingly long time to find the source of in all of my <laughs> research tabs that were open. I was like, where is this sound coming? It was from that tab. Nice. I hate when that happens. Oh, Buzz Holly. When a video starts playing and it's a different tab and you're like, oh, what? I know. I, but it wasn't even this? videos. It was like there were, there were mouseover sounds. So I would have like moused over something, moved to a different tab, and it was like finishing the sound wow. that I just played. Yeah. But yeah, if you're interested in that, it's really fascinating. 
um, if you're looking for something to do uh, until part two comes out, there are some really cool things that you can find there. And you might even enjoy and appreciate, you know, part two that much more. You just might. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Okay. I'm Done. Just <laughs> and scene. <laughs> and stop. Save. <laughs> okay. Wow, this was fun. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you so much. Thanks for listening to part one. Remember that our Patreon exists. Mm. Patreon.com slash TPD podcast. Make sure to check that out. Can't even believe it. And we can't wait to join you again in part two where we really, I've, I've told Christian before, like I get nervous when we break these things into multiple parts just because I worry that, you know, some of the background information, the historical context is going to be interesting to some people, but really dry for others. But we Mm. really get into the juice of the matter in part two a lot of times. It's going to be such a wet episode. We got a wet episode coming your way with all of the darkness that you remember from Courage. We had, I'm sorry, but we had to have our history lesson first. So we can't wait to share more about Courage the Cowardly Dog in part two. We can't, and I'm not sorry, so I won't apologize. (laughs) Because you're listening for a reason. And we appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And we'll see you next time. Yeah. Sounds great. Go give five dollars to our Patreon. Hey, yeah, thanks. We hey, appreciate five, that too. Ooh, five dollars and five stars. Ooh, I like that even better. Five, five, five for five Fridays. It's Friday. <laughs> well, maybe it might. It might not be Friday for you. Five for five. Five, five, five stars, five dollars. Give us five stars on your favorite podcast platform. A lot of you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, and on Apple Podcasts, you can even leave reviews. So oh if you God. like us, that'd be great. Five stars, five dollars, five reviews. He's stuck, guys. He's broken. <laughs> I'm stuck and I'm broken. I haven't had dinner yet. So I gotta He's got to go eat. eat. <laughs> Woo. Feeling courageous, feeling cowardly and courageous. Let's do it. Let's do it. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, until next time. Bye, guys. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark. Written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. So, Until next time, sweet dreams, everyone.